on. Father, thank you for this morning, for the words you have to share with us today, Lord. I believe that you are leading and guiding our church, that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives and for our gatherings together and for this family of believers. Lord, I ask that you open our hearts, open our ears, that we would say, hear what the Spirit of God wants to say to this church. We love you, Lord, and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to talk to you about a famous tree. Actually, there are numerous famous trees around the world. There is the Lone Cypress on the California coast. It sits on a rocky shoreline, weathering the storms. There's also a giant tree named General Sherman that grows in Sequoia National Park. It's the largest tree on earth. In, 1970, in 1792, a group of freed slaves who had fought in the American Revolution, they gathered under the cotton tree in Sierra Leone to thank God for a new start. Even today, in fact, it's a symbol of freedom for West Africans. Major Oak in Sherwood Forest was recently voted Britain's favorite tree. Legend has it, its hollow trunk was a hideout for Robin Hood and his merry men. Then there's a small forest of famous trees in southern Lebanon. The cedars of God get their name from the Bible itself. Psalm 104 refers to these tall cedars as the trees of the Lord. You remember Solomon used the timber from these Lebanese cedars to build the first temple. And then there's a tree called the Tree of Life. It's a 400-year-old mesquite that sits alone in the Bahrain Desert. It's the only living thing within hundreds of miles. It has survived, even thrived, because its roots have tapped into an underground source of water. Which leads me to the tree that I want to talk to you about today. For in my opinion, it is the world's most famous tree. It too is spoken of in Scripture in Psalm 1. It's actually a metaphor, a picture of a believer in Jesus Christ. A Christian is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Like the lone cypress in California, this Psalm 1 tree can endure isolation. Like the giant sequoia, it's a pillar of strength. Like the cotton tree, it is a symbol of freedom. Like the oak in Sherwood Forest, it's a place of refuge. And like the cedars of Lebanon, it too makes for perfect timber to build a temple to God. And like the tree in the sands of Bahrain, it can survive, in fact, even thrive in desert environments. And why? It is a tree by the waters. Its roots are flowing. Its shoots are growing. Its fruits are showing. And God wants you and I to be like that tree. Let's read the first three verses here in Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. This morning, I want to share with you a vision for our church. I mean, 
a tremendous vision for our church. This vision is terrific, no doubt about it. This morning, I want to share with you some sound triology. Hey, I don't want to bark at you this morning or pine away too much on this or even branch out too far. And I definitely don't want to talk like a nut or go out on a limb. Or, and I want no one to end up stumped today. But no one leaves this morning until we hear that God wants you, your family, and this church to be like a tree. Sorry for the punishment. Hey, the psalmist begins, blessed is the man. The Hebrew word translated blessed, it means happy, prosperous. Blessed is the man. But what makes this word so intriguing is that it's in the plural. A more literal translation would be, happy, happy, happy is the man. Phil Robertson couldn't have said it any better. The person with more blessings than he can handle is like a tree. And God wants all of us to be that person. When you look closely at the metaphor in Psalm 1, you'll see that God has three concerns for you and me. He talks about the believer's roots, and then his shoots, and then his fruits. As for roots, he wants us positioned properly. As for shoots, he wants us progressing continually. And as for fruits, he wants us all productive annually. Healthy Christians, healthy Christian families, healthy churches are like this tree planted by the waters, properly positioned and continually progressing and annually productive. Over the last few months, as I've been praying, as I've been thinking about God's direction for our church here at Calvary Chapel, He keeps bringing me back to Psalm 1. I feel so strongly about this metaphor, we've made it our logo. Even bought a t-shirt. God wants everyone in this church and everyone as this church to be like a tree planted by the waters. This morning, we're going to consider what that looks like in real life, what it looks like to sink roots and to sprout shoots and to bear fruits. First, let's focus on our roots. Where are you sinking your roots? In all of life, in every arena, proper positioning matters. The success of a business depends on how well it brands itself and positions itself in the marketplace. A victorious politician is the candidate who was able to strategically position himself in the minds of the voters and position. Oh, it certainly matters in sports, does it not? In basketball, the player who gets the rebound isn't necessarily the guy who can jump the highest. It's the player who jockeys for the best position. And a football player can be big and fast, but if he's out of position, he won't make the play. And likewise, in our spiritual life, if we want to grow healthy, we need to plant ourselves in the right spots. The blessed man makes a deliberate decision to position he and his family near godly resources and influences. He or she avoids the way of the wicked and sinks their roots alongside spiritual nourishment. If you haven't noticed lately, the world that we live in is not exactly sympathetic to Christianity. 
and to morality and to godly living. Have you noticed the latest craze in reality TV is nudity? Naked surviving? Naked dating? Notice I don't have any pictures for this. <laughs> even, even naked home buying? That's insane. Where did that come from? Naked home buying? Obviously, the goal of most media isn't to raise the standard of morality. Hey, perk, perk up your ears in the break room at work. And the conversation isn't encouraging people to love God. Hang out in the gym or on the street corner. And the chit-chat isn't likely to enhance purity and godliness. No, the psalmist here tells us that the blessed man walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. In other words, he or she is careful about who they listen to, who they linger with, and who they laugh at. Realize this truth. You should write it down. Lives are not shaped by mysterious forces. Lives are shaped by deliberate choices. The opinions of the friends that you listen to, the people you hang out with, the amusements you're entertained by, combine to shape the kind of person you'll eventually be. You see, how you position your life and your family really matters. I don't care how strong you are. Stand in the middle of a raging river long enough, and that current will eventually take you under. Likewise, listen to ungodly counsel, and you'll begin to make ungodly choices. Entertain yourself with sinful stuff, and you'll eventually lose your appetite for all that's good and godly. Sit in the seat of the scornful, and you'll become cynical. You know, we've all seen that great player get pulled down on a lousy team. The superstar gets dragged down by his bumbling teammates, whereas just the opposite can also occur. A mediocre player on a team full of quality performers excels because his mates elevate his game. Success or failure often depends on the people that surround us. And the same is true spiritually. In a Christian's life, Jesus is at work in us. But if we surround ourselves with influences that drag us down and get us off track, it undermines our growth. Smart people position themselves to succeed. Why do you think outfielders, they, they shift over a little to the left or to the right with each batter? They have scouting reports on the hitter's tendencies that place them in the optimum position where he usually hits the ball. Position matters. An employee positions himself for promotion by working hard and being on time and respecting his boss. A high school student positions herself for college by buckling down and making some decent grades. And if you're serious about growing spiritually, you have to position yourself around and among the things of God. You need to walk with people who walk with the Lord. You need to stand for folks or with folks that are strong enough to lean on. You need to hang out with people who are hanging on to God. Listen to the right counsel. Linger with the right people. Laugh with folks who are really having fun. Don't just go with the flow. Don't just drift with the tides of this world with what's popular. Guys, toilet paper goes with the flow. Not a flourishing, healthy Christian. A wise person 
chooses to properly position their life. Understand, a tree is not a bush or an annual. You know, it's hard to move a tree once it sinks its roots. Plant a tree and it stays put. That's why before you plant a tree, you need to give serious thought as to where it belongs. When you walk out this afternoon on the back lawn behind our building, you'll notice several river birches. They're the trees with a gnarly bark, I think the cool-looking bark, that are out there by the parking lots. But these trees weren't always there. We planted these trees as baby sprigs. In fact, we spent hours and hours and hours figuring out where to position these trees to make the most of their shade. And this is how the blessed man thinks. He doesn't just act randomly. He doesn't just sashay through life. He considers how he's moving. He considers the best place to sink his roots in order to gain a sense of belonging and support. My wife has a green thumb. She loves to plant living things, trees, plants, shrubs. She would create a jungle around our house if I let her. In fact, in our old house, she planted a tree right in the center of our front yard. If I remember correctly, she planted it while I was out of town. Not that I would have objected. She just didn't want to run the risk of me objecting, and so she planted it when I was out of town. She wanted a tree in the center of our front yard, and it was a beautiful tree. It grew green. It grew tall. But there was a reason for its amazing growth. Kathy planted that tree right over our septic line. (laughs) So when the downstairs toilet backed up and the sewage started to overflow, we quickly realized that her tree had sunk its roots right into the sewer line. And this is what happens if a Christian sinks their roots in the wrong places. Sewage might fertilize a tree, but spiritual filth and sewage will rot away a Christian's joy and faith and power. When you sink your roots into what's unholy, you grieve the Holy Spirit. I've known many a believer who was gloriously born again, primed for spiritual growth, full of spiritual life, on fire for Jesus, but they mistakenly positioned themselves in the wrong places. They sunk roots and connected to wrong friends and influences, and it wasn't long before it drugged them down. There's a spiritual law that no one, I mean no one escapes. Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8 states it crystal clear. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. In other words, it's either garbage in, garbage out, or it's godliness in, godliness out. You reap what you sow. The fruit you grow is up to the place you plant. Realize Christianity involves interaction with other Christians. You can't be a Christian by yourself on an island all alone. Being a Christian doesn't just involve avoiding evil influences, but connecting to the holy and wholesome people around you, the role models. You want good role models in your life. The New Testament is full of terms that we call the one another commands. You ever heard of this? The one another commands? Here's a good example of a few one another commands. Love one another. Pray for one another. 
Encourage one another. Greet one another. Honor one another. Serve one another. Admonish one another. Accept one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Teach one another. Bear with one another. Be devoted to one another. And on and on it goes. But you can't obey any of these commands without first forming a relationship with another. With another believer. That means that if you hold on to your old friends who don't share your new faith, or if you remain a loner and try to go it on your own, you'll cut yourself off from the resources, the source of strength that you desperately need. You've got to move outside your comfort zone. You've got to connect with a few other Christians. You've got to sink some roots. Author Gordon McDonald, he writes about an AA group that he once attended. A woman named Kathy rose to tell her story. He figured at 21 she'd been a beauty queen, but now at 35, this gal looked weathered. She looked haggard. Kathy confessed, In the last month, I've been in five states. I've slept under bridges, been arrested, raped, robbed. Through tears, she continued, I don't know what to do. I don't want to be homeless anymore. But I can't stop drinking. I just can't stop. I can't stop. McDonald says that at that very moment, an older, rather rounder lady named Marilyn, sober for a dozen years, she reached her arm around Kathy, and she spoke gently. Honey, you're going to be okay. You're with us now. We can deal with this together. All you have to do is keep coming. Hear me? Keep on coming. In his writing, McDonald questioned if Kathy would have received the same reception at the church he pastored. Hey, I have no doubt. I know your stories. This church is full of formerly broken people who've been put back together by the grace of God. And the healing we've tasted, we are now serving up. If you're new here, you'll be okay. You just got to keep coming. You're with us now. We're going to help you, but you got to keep coming. you got to sink some roots, and then the healing will begin. I like the phrase that the psalmist uses for connecting to other believers. He puts it, planted by the rivers. Have you ever planted flowers or a bush or a tree? It's messy, isn't it? It's dirty you got to dig a hole first. You uncover the root ball. You turn over the clay. You add in some potting soil. And then you nestle in the roots and you pat it all down with your hands. And likewise, when people come together with other people, even Christians, it too can get dirty and it can get messy. There will be a misunderstanding or two. Trust me. There will be some bruised feelings. There's going to be some drama. And nobody likes drama. But this is what it takes to get planted. You have to learn to love and forgive and accept and tolerate. But here is the truth. Mark it down. Either we are growing together or we are probably not growing at all. Understand, according to the Bible, the Christian life is more than just believing. It is also belonging 
I pray that in the days to come, we will all sink our roots deeper into the fellowship of believers here at Calvary Chapel. For healthy Christians are positioned properly. But they're also progressing continually. Inspect a tree's branches. You'll find shoots, roots, and shoots. Apparently, this tree planted by the river is strong, and it's vibrant, and it's resilient. It never wilts or withers. It's evergreen. It bears fruit seasonally. It grows constantly. This tree avoids periods of dormancy. It's alive year-round. The sap is always flowing. The tree is always growing. Even when the winds howl and the trunk creaks, even when the branches bear under the weight of the ice and the snow, this tree continues to grow. And this is God's desire for us. Not only that we're positioned properly, but that we're also progressing continually. When you're converted to Christ, you become a babe in the faith. A spiritual infant. But understand, you are not expected to stay that way. Nowhere in the Bible does it mention pacifiers or teething toys or building blocks in heaven. Apparently, somewhere between our coming to Christ and our going to heaven, God expects you and I to grow up. I read of a youth group that had the following motto. It was painted on the wall in their meeting room. It said, keep the faith baby, not the baby faith. I like that. Ephesians 4 verse 13 says the same. In the Phillips translation it reads, We are not meant to remain as children, but to grow up in every way into Christ. God's goal for everyone in this room is for you to be on a path of consistent spiritual growth. This is why sinking roots is just the first step. Proper position is necessary for growth, but there's more. For no one becomes godly simply simply by hanging out with godly people. No one learns to think biblically just by toting a Bible under your arm. Holiness isn't like catching a cold. It's not contagious. Spiritual growth is intentional. If I ask you this question, how tall does a tree grow? If I ask you that question, how tall does a tree grow, you would probably want more information. You would say, but Pastor Sandy, what kind of tree? What kind of soil? What kind of climate? But there is an easier answer to this question. How tall will a tree grow? I'll tell you how tall it will grow. As tall as it can. For everything in nature grows to its maximum potential. Trees do. Bushes do. Grass do. Wow, does grass grow. But there is one exception. There is one living thing that may or may not grow to its potential. And that's people. Humans make a choice. And sadly, you can choose to be less than God desires. Remember, lives are not shaped by mysterious forces. Lives are shaped by deliberate choices. Have you made spiritual growth your goal? Have you decided that you want to sprout shoots? The psalmist tells us in verse 2, The happy, happy, happy man delights himself in the law of the Lord and in his law. He meditates day and night. He chooses to seek his hope and his confidence and his comfort in the Word of God. He goes through the Bible. And then he lets the Bible go through him. 
He meditates on it day and night. Understand, biblical meditation is not the same as Eastern meditation. Rather than put your mind in neutral and rely on chants and rote mantras, the Christian engages his mind. He opens his heart. He begins to mull over what God has said. And as he does, the Holy Spirit enlightens his understanding with wisdom and with clarity. Christian meditation is like a cow chewing its cud. As we roll the Bible over and over in our minds, the Holy Spirit reveals the application of what we're reading. This is how a believer grows spiritually. I love Psalm 119 verse 9. It reads, How can a young man cleanse his way? I've quoted it many times. How can a young man cleanse his way? Notice what he doesn't ask. He doesn't say, how can a toddler cleanse his way? How can a grandma cleanse her way? I mean, tots and grandmas aren't exactly notorious sinners, are they? But young men, oh, young men, adolescent men, no offense, guys, but you adolescent young men have a reputation for being cocky and reckless and hot-headed and hormonal, and stubborn, and impulsive. Hey, if you can cleanse a young man's way, you can affect anybody. And what is up to this industrialized cleansing? Verse 9 tells us, by taking heed according to his word. What can cleanse a young man's way? Nothing but the word of God. Only the Bible can renew a mind and transform a character, and tame a lust, and break old habits, and create a new outlook, and produce sensitivity where there was hardness, and spawn self-discipline, and refocus priorities, and grow a vibrant faith. You know, some churches, they attract big crowds with entertaining presentations, and by telling folks what they want to hear. Yet any method not Bible strong is sure to fail. There are thousands of shortcuts, friends. Spiritual fads will come and go, but our only real hope is a steady diet of God's Word. This is why the happiest man of all is the one who delights himself in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Spiritual growth is intentional, but apparently it is also gradual. The rhythm of our spiritual growth is day and night. Day and and night. It requires daily disciplines. You know, when Moses told Israel to take possession of the land of Canaan, he said in Deuteronomy 7, verse 22, Your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once. Notice his promise of victory. It would occur little by little. A complete victory wouldn't happen overnight. And likewise, spiritual progress comes in increments. It's step by step. Our growth as believers is measured not over weeks, I mean not over minutes and days, but over weeks and months and years. It takes time. You know, it tickled me when my kids were younger. They'd wake up in the morning. They would look in the mirror. They would stand there. They would straighten their shoulders, hold their shoulders back and straighten themselves up as tall as they could, and then they would announce prod, proudly, I, I, I think I grew last night. Seen kids do that? And I'm sure they did. But on a daily basis, the growth is imperceptible. And likewise, spiritual maturity takes time. It requires patience. 
It demands endurance. Before James Garfield was elected as our nation's president, he was the chancellor of Hiram College in Ohio. A friend of Garfield's whose son was enrolled in the school asked if there was any way that he could speed up his son's education. Garfield replied, Sure, but it all depends on what you want to make of your son. When God makes an oak tree, it requires a hundred years. When he produces a squash, it takes only two months. What do you want to be, an oak or a squash? A tree grows, but it doesn't go from seedling to towering oak overnight. It takes time and consistency, and that's what it's going to take in your Christian life. It takes day and night, day and night. That's the rhythm. Did you hear about that awful accident yesterday up on Highway 78? Oh, it was terrible. A snail was inching its way down the center of the road when it was run over by a turtle. Did you hear about this? When the paramedics finally arrived to the snail, they said, what happened? And the snail replied, I don't know. It happened so fast. That's it. That's all there is to that joke. (laughs) Often, though, we get impatient, don't we? Spiritual growth seems, oh, so slow. But hang in there. Hey, you're making progress. Here's a great quote. Great quote. Write it down. Nothing that doesn't occur daily will ever dominate your life. Nothing that doesn't occur daily will ever dominate your life. It is the day after day, the night after night, that makes the practice effective. Perhaps you've heard of the 21-day rule. Supposedly, it takes 21 days for a new activity to become a habit. I don't know if it's 21 days or if it's 51 days, if it's 101 days. The point, though, is that don't give up after one week. Stick with it. You don't reap a crop of corn the day you plant it. You have to water and weed, and you have to wait. And this is why... The time to sow spiritual seed in your life is now, right now. Battles are going to come. And that's why you need to be ready when they do. Once there was a National Geographic special that showed film footage of the Alaskan bull moose and the male sparring that goes on in the fall breeding season. The male bullwinkles like butt heads over and over, hoping to prove their dominance. They keep crashing antlers until one set of antlers weakens and breaks. The moose with the heftiest body, with the stoutest antlers, prevails. But you see, the battle is actually won, not in the fall when the conflict occurs, but it's actually won in the spring and in the summer. For the heftiest body and the strongest antlers belong to the moose that ate the healthiest diet. You see, preparation and growth were determined long before they were needed. And the same is true for you and me, whether we realize it now or not. The spiritual outcome of our lives isn't decided in the heat of the battle. It's being decided right now. If you're bullheaded, if you're stubborn, if you refuse to meditate on God's Word, don't be surprised when the battle comes and you fail and you fall. There's a hospital diagnosis that sometimes appears on an infant's medical chart. It's the acronym FTT. 
FTT. You know what it means? Failure to thrive. The baby isn't growing. The baby isn't gaining weight. Failure to thrive. And this can happen to a Christian. If you don't want your chart in heaven to read failure to thrive, then delight yourself in God's word. Spiritual muscle, enduring faith are best developed before they're needed. It's my prayer that everyone who attends this church will choose to sprout shoots. You see, healthy followers of Jesus, we're like this tree in Psalm 1. Our roots are positioned properly. Our shoots are progressing continually. And oh my, we have fruits. The blessed man is productive annually. The light of Jesus not only shines on him, but it also shines through his life to the people around him. Once there was a little girl, she asked her mom, she says, is God as big as the universe? The mother replied, yes, he is, honey. And mommy, is Jesus God? Oh, yes, sweetheart, he sure is. And mommy, does Jesus live in our hearts? Oh, yes, he certainly does. You can see the tumblers turning in her head. Finally, the daughter, she drew her conclusion. She says, if Jesus is as big as the universe, and if he lives in my heart, that means you'll have to see him shining through. And the world's most brilliant theologian couldn't have stated that truth any better than that little girl. When we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus, he not only comes to live in us, but he also shines through us. Jesus and his disciples, they were once walking through Jerusalem when they noticed a fig tree with no fruit. It had a trunk, had some leaves, had some branches, no doubt. But no figs, go figure. And Jesus cursed this figless fig tree. Overnight, it shriveled up and died. You see, God didn't make fig trees to fill up with leaves or to stand tall even or stay green. Fig trees were created for one purpose, to produce figs or fruit. And the same is true for Christians. How many of you have ever eaten fruitcake at Christmas time? Nobody wants to admit it. How many of you like fruitcake? Oh, wow. Watch those people. Take note of that. Watch those people. Something wrong with those people. Usually the answers are everybody and almost nobody. Everybody's heard of it. Nobody likes it. Well, I ran across an interesting list. Here are the top ten suggestions for how to recycle leftover fruitcake. Number 10, pothole filler. Number 9, shot put. Number 8, speed bump. Number 7, boat anchor. Number 6, flower press. Number 5, bed warmer. Heat to 350 degrees. Number 4, ice pack. Freeze for 12 hours. Number 3, chopping block. Watch out for breaking knives. Number 2, scratching post for your cat. And number 1, Will chalk for a tractor trailer. That's how you use a good fruitcake. You see, a fruitcake is intended to be eaten, but sometimes you can find alternate uses for a fruitcake. Christians, though, are a different story. God expects you and I to fulfill our purpose for being here. And what is it? According to verse 3, it's to bring forth fruit in its season. Our purpose 
is to bear fruit. God intends for us to glorify Him and impact people. He wants our lives to count for Him in time and in eternity. In contrast, the psalmist says the ungodly, the person without God, has no purpose at all. Verse 6 puts it, He's like the chaff which the wind drives away. He's aimless. He's blown about. His life has no direction. He's like a boat with no rudder. A piece of chaff or dry leaf on a windy day. It swirls in the breeze. Oh, it's driven. There's movement all right. It might appear as if there's progress, but it's not moving in any kind of meaningful direction. It's just drifting along with no purpose. Reminds me of the business executive whose goal was to climb the corporate ladder. He climbed and he climbed. All he saw in life was that next rung on the ladder. His ascent was just the expected thing to do. Finally, though, after reaching the pinnacle of his profession, the man admitted, I've spent my entire life climbing a ladder that was leaning against the wrong wall. That can happen to you if you're not careful. Perhaps you've seen the movie Mr. Holland's Opus. Anybody seen that movie? I love that movie. It's a great movie. Glenn Holland, he's an aspiring musician. But in order to feed his family, he gets forced into a teaching job. He embraces his job at the school half-heartedly. His frustration is always just there below the surface. He fancies himself as a musical composer, not a band teacher. And yet throughout the decades, his life, his passion for music, rubs off on his students in positive ways. The day comes when... Mr. Holland retires. He walks out of the school for the last time. But just as he leaves, he's invited into the auditorium. It's packed with his former students. One of his alumni is now the state governor. And she addresses the crowd. Mr. Holland had a profound influence in our lives. Yet I get the feeling he considers a great part of his life misspent. Rumor had it he was always working on this symphony. And this was going to make him famous and rich. Probably both. But Mr. Holland isn't rich and he isn't famous, at least not outside our little town. So it might be easy for him to think himself a failure, but he'd be wrong because he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. The governor then turns to the former, her former teacher and says, Look around you. There is not a life in this room you have not touched. And each one of us is a better person because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. Oh, how easy it is for us to lose perspective. Sometimes we get caught up in just finishing the job, getting the task done, pocketing the next paycheck, fixing up the house, whatever it might be. We forget that life is really measured by our impact on people, on our family on our friends, on our church, on our community. It's been said, most people are like the crew who were busy arranging chairs on the deck of the Titanic. So what if you make a splash on earth when all this world is is a sinking ship? It's the people around you that will live forever. It's people that matter most. Hey, imagine one day you strolling down the streets in heaven, just kind of strutting along down the golden streets. What a day that would be. And all of a sudden, you bump into this fellow who grabs your hand. He starts shaking it profusely. 
He clears this lump in his throat. He tells you that you saved his marriage when you invited him to bring his family to the church. Or he was the kid who learned of Jesus because you taught him in Sunday school. Or he was the high-risk teenager who got back on track because you gave an extra offering to send somebody to camp. Or he was saved because his pastor came to the conference you worked at and he was encouraged not to give up. Imagine playing a role in that person getting to heaven. Can there be a greater thrill? Here's a reason to roll out of bed in the morning. This is worth ironing a shirt. This is an excuse for putting your makeup on, ladies. When we touch people, we impact eternity. Our purpose at Calvary Chapel is to show our friends and our community and this world that God is alive and well, that the Bible is for today, that it's cool to be a Christian. Our goal is to be an outpost of heaven in the midst of a barren earth. We want people to know that real love and peace and joy and healing is only found in Jesus. I can think of no higher purpose on which to spend our lives. God's purpose for you and for me is not to just take up space or look pretty or add stuff, but to bear fruit. Well, I want to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. How about you? If so, there's three places that we should examine. Our roots, our shoots, and our fruits. Look at your roots this morning. Are you positioned properly? Are the people around you headed in the same direction that you intend to go? Have you tapped into good and godly influences? And what about your shoots? Are you progressing continually? Are the choices that you've made conducive for growth? Are you meditating daily on the Word of God? And let's inspect our branches for some spiritual fruit. We need to be productive annually. Are we impacting other people for Jesus? Can folks see Jesus shining through our lives? Hey, whether today's message is a revelation to you or whether it's just a reminder to you, I hope you'll take it to heart. For it is strategic. This tree... This tree would make for a great church logo, by the way, wouldn't it? You could even buy the t-shirt. But this tree, how it should be a guidepost for you and me. Let's sink our roots. Let's sprout our shoots and let's bear some fruit. And if we do, our lives, this church, will become tremendous, terrific. Here is some sound triology. And the, the days ahead lets you and me be a tree. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning and for your love for us. Lord, I pray you'll bless those that are being baptized today. Bless the rest of our day together, the fellowship we'll have. Lord, we thank you so much for working in our hearts this morning. Lord, help us to be like this tree, both as individual Christians and as a church together in Christ. Help us to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. We love you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said...